0: What's up, y'all? Zach exactly with Living Corporate. Now, look, every now and then we try to mix it up for y'all because you know. So, look, dependency and consistency is really important, but even within those lanes of consistency, you got to have a little bit of variety. You know what I mean? You don't come home and just eat the same thing every day, or even if you do, you know, you got a meal prep thing. Maybe sometimes you put a little red sauce. Maybe sometimes you put a little green sauce. You know, you got to just, you know, mix it up from time to time. Maybe sometimes you grill it. Maybe sometimes you saute. Maybe sometimes you rotisserie. You got to just. Am I hungry? Yes, I'm hungry. y'all. my bad. Listen, check it out. We have another entry (laughs) for y'all from our see it to be it series. Amy C. Waninger, CEO of Lead at Any Level, as well as the author of Network Beyond Bias. She's actually been a member of the team for a while now. So shout out to you, Amy. Yes. Thank you very much for all of your work here. Um, And part of her work has been in driving the series called See It to Be It. And the purpose of the series is to actually highlight Black and brown professionals in these very prestigious roles like within uh, industries that maybe we and when I say we, I mean black and brown folks, I see y'all, that we may not always even know exist or envision ourselves in, hence the name of the series, right? So check this out. We're gonna go ahead and transition from here. The next thing you're gonna hear is an interview with Amy C Waninger and a super dope professional. I know y'all gonna love it. Catch y'all next time. Peace.
1: Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, I appreciate you so much. And I want to jump right in because you've had so much going on lately, and I want to make sure we get to all of it. Sure,
1: sure.
2: Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background in the education space, the non-for-profit, and community service? Sure,
1: Sure, sure. So. I'll I'll kind of start senior year of college, I I had a quarter life crisis. (laughs) I was studying exercise science in college, thought I was going to pursue a career in healthcare, and then had a friend tell me, I don't think you want to do this. And I said, Yes, I I think you're right. She knew I was super passionate about education. I'm a child of immigrants, both of my parents immigrated to Canada for their education. And so that's just always been something that's been kind of a through line and, and really kind of a foundation for me. But I had never thought about you know, pursuing or opening that door and um, trying to enter that sector um, until this friend helped kind of help me see the light. Um, And so essentially, I graduated college um, and entered an AmeriCorps program called City Year. Um, And it was this perfect opportunity for me to enter, you know, the landscape of education. I wasn't exactly sure if I wanted to be a teacher, but I I wanted to be in the classroom to engage with young people um, and see if that was a space that I wanted to be a part of. And so City Year was this perfect happy medium where I was able to step into the classroom, support a teacher, um, facilitate small groups, um, help build culture and climate um, at a school, and really, you know, kind of put my foot in the door um, within education. I did that for two years. Basically, a year in, I thought, You know, teaching, it's not for me. And I'll say never say never because I, who knows, you know, what what could happen. But I recognize, I applaud teachers and they are, you know, our heroes really amongst us. Um, But I was like, I I don't quite want to do that. Um, But I want to stay involved with young people. So I want to support them and, you know, be involved in some sort of program that works with young people and and just support them in being, you know, their best selves. Um, So that took me to Embark, where we do experiential learning. And so it has been such a privilege. Um, We're a nonprofit, um, and we believe experiences matter. So we actually tap um, our city as a classroom. We believe that learning takes place beyond the four walls of the classroom. Um, I think, you know, if we think about what we learned in physics or algebra in high school, I don't think many of us are using the quadratic formula in our everyday lives. Um, You know, we're networking with people. We are, you know, just all these different social emotional skills that are just so necessary to be able to thrive and um, do well and kind of whatever path you choose in that post-secondary space. And so Embark is, is an opportunity for young people to really to gain and grasp all that knowledge, to meet people, to see people who look like them, um, doing things that they didn't even know quite existed or is possible for them. And so it's been really just a great privilege to um, be curating experiences for the past few years kind of being within that space. That's fantastic. And so
2: you're with Embark, you were working with high school age kids? High school students. Yep. Okay. High students, and so tell yeah. me a little bit about, because I know you said it's it's kind of like um, field trips on steroids, right? That's yes, <laughs> how you yep, described it yeah. to me before. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. can you give us an example or tell us a story from one of those events?
1: Sure, sure. So one of the experiences, we took students to Digitas, which is an ad agency in downtown Chicago. And oftentimes when we are building these experiences, you know, we believe that learning can take place anywhere. And so, you know, we had a connection with somebody who worked at the ad agency, and we thought, hey, would you be open to opening your doors, having some high school students walk in this building and learn about what you do in your day-to-day life to help them understand, you know, what a a career kind of in the ad world looks like. I mean, we all watch TV for the most part. We see commercials and, you know, laugh at them sometimes or Sometimes don't laugh at them because sometimes they're not that great. Um, but, you know, there, there's a, a whole set of people who work and put those things together. And so it, it was great to build that experience. We brought um, a classroom of students to this downtown Chicago building. And we actually met with a woman who was actually from the neighborhood of where the students were coming from. And she had this just incredible story. Something that we always try to do in experience is, you know, there's the interactive part of students you know, being able to learn about the career and participate in challenges to help them really understand what is it that these individuals do. But then we also make sure just to have some storytelling with the people that they're working with and have them share, you know, how did they get here and, you know, take advice and just do Q&A. And so this experience was just especially important to me because it was this really powerful moment where this woman who came, you know, from the same neighborhood that the students also come from, had a very similar story and background, and just was relatable to the students um, who who looked like them, who had just very similar family backgrounds to them as well, understood just the struggle that they they sit in as students from their neighborhood, and then was able to tell them, like, you know, it wasn't perfect, you know, was just very candid with them about, you know, the different steps, different challenges, drawbacks she had to kind of get where she was at now, and, you know, told them, hey, if you want to talk more, I want to make that time, you know, available and space and be here for you as well. And so that those are always moments that I'm like, ah, yes, this is why we do what we do. Because you don't know what you don't know. And so for students to step into that space where they felt like they, you know, it's downtown Chicago, many of them don't go there super often, feel like they don't quite belong in spaces like that. Because, you know, we, we work with black and brown students. And oftentimes, you know, corporate America is very white for the most part. And so when you're able to meet individuals who look like you and can actually, you know, relate to that's just incredibly powerful. Um, and, you know, helping them kind of broaden just their worldview of, of what's possible for them.
2: Well, you know, that's a mission close to my heart. Cause that's what this whole interview series is about is yeah. helping people see what's possible for them, you know, yeah. in the community, in the economy and in their careers, yeah. uh, because so many of us don't see all of mm-hmm. these jobs every day.
1: Yes. Yeah, and right. it's
2: so hard to imagine something if you don't know it exists. So <laughs> right. I just, I applaud you for that. I think that's such a, a wonderful way to invest in your community. Yep. Um, but I'm sure you were on a similar learning journey to your students in terms of seeing sure. things that, that you maybe didn't know existed or, yep. uh, you know, just
1: building your own network and that's. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh well. yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, for me, obviously what we do for the young people is, is awesome. Right. But even just for myself being part of the program and, um, making connections, I've been able to see it. I'm not from Chicago as well. So as somebody who, you know, didn't grow up in the area, it's just super important for me to really understand and listen to people who've been there and understand the story and what's happened, you know, and, and just talk to real people. And so for me and just in my own development, it's been really important as I've built connections and, you know, gotten to know the city through just these various experience. It's been really powerful, just even for myself and, and my own development.
2: That's great. And I'm sure those skills have come in handy because so you worked with Embark for a while, but you recently relocated out of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the dubious honor of having conducted a job search during a global pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) And I would imagine that there are a number of our listeners who are in a similar situation where for whatever reason, you know, the economy is changing anyway a lot of people are finding themselves in transition right now. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned and what the process looked like
1: uh, sure. interviewing
2: without being able to leave the house, for example, or yes. you know, some of the other struggles yes.
1: that you faced? Sure. It has been a time. I, I never envisioned that I would be job hunting during a pandemic. When I say those words, I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. But really, and and I'll be so honest, there are times where it was just incredibly discouraging because I had so many you know hopes and dreams and kind of what I thought it might look like as I relocated and you know just different sectors I was interested in and you know so many sectors have just been so impacted by the pandemic and you know a lot of people are you know pausing hiring um, and a lot of hiring freezes and so as a job seeker in this time you're like, okay, where does that where does that leave me and and kind of now what opportunities can I pursue? And so really, I think there was a few weeks there where I was just pretty discouraged, and I kind of started just applying to anything and everything because I just said, hey, I have bills <laughs> and you know need to just gather some sort of income. But you know, I actually took a break, which you know, in kind of job seeking one-on-one I don't think is probably encouraged to do so because it's like you need to get a job so you like send in your 100 applications each day and kind of keep on it but I had gotten to a point where it was so you know demoralizing at a point where you're just like I don't know on top of just the mental health impacts of you know being stuck at home and just you know all of that and navigating that as well it was just a lot to manage so I said you know, we're just going to take some time off. Um, And, you know, there are things that I know where I can take care of myself and just step away from all the job applications and do that. It provided a reset for me because when I came back, I thought, okay, Kathleen, what do you know how to do well? Um, And that's building relationships. And so I got on LinkedIn and, you know, just stalked people on LinkedIn and was like, hey, there, I had made a list of the different areas I was interested in. And so I started reaching out to people in those areas, whether they were in the area where I relocated to or just kind of anywhere from just kind of different networks, reaching out to friends and their networks, asking them to help me out. And so I just started having conversations with people. And that actually lifted my spirit. You know, and for me, I'm an extrovert. So I really enjoyed it. You know, depending on who you are, you, you, you have to do things that make sense for who you are. But for me, that it was it was like a breath of fresh air for me. And, you know, lo and behold, I eventually, you know, I started building connections here in, in the city where I relocated. And people started saying, you know, we're going to get you a job. I know the circumstances look really grim right now, but we're going to help you out. We're going to get you a job. You've communicated what you're, you know, what you're looking for, your, your preferences, and, you know, we're going to help you out. And, you know, so that's been amazing and incredible when you just are kind of you know put it out there you know and and people receive that and you know people are just for the most part very kind and and, and want to help you know for the most part that's what a big learning I've, I've learned from this process is people want to help and if they can help they will help and so it, it's been through my connections that um, I've been sent different job opportunities that I didn't even see just from you know my own job search engines that I've been using but they are kind of in the know about positions that were about to be posted and were able to send them my way. Um, and so, you know, that's led me to now I'm, I'm currently interviewing for a position that was, you know, sent to me by somebody that I connected with. And just yesterday she actually, she said, Hey, you know, I, I just emailed them, you know, at this at the employer and, you know, wanted to just give them a good note about how great you are um, just cause. And I thought, "What? The- I don't even know you. Like I've only talked to you for, you know, 45 minutes for one conversation. But you know, how do you leave just a really lasting impression with these individuals who you're making connections with? And so that's just been a really big, big learning is in this time of a lot of uncertainty and unprecedented times, as, as you know, we're saying fall back on what you know how to do well. And for me, I knew that was talking to people. So I, I, I use that and it's now, you know, brought me to a place that you know, despite the limited opportunity because of the crisis, I'm still, you know, in a kind of in a much better place and really looking forward to, you know, where I land in terms of opportunity wise for my next chapter. That
2: is so wonderful. And I know last time we spoke, I said, I hope that yeah. you have multiple amazing offers to choose from. And it looks like yeah. that's, we're going to keep our fingers crossed, but it looks like that's what's yeah. happening right now. But no, I think it's fantastic. And one of the things that you said, which I've found to be true too, Kathleen, mm-hmm. is, you know, you struggle, 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 push, push, push. Mm -hmm. And then all you had to do was just stop and let the universe catch up with you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And just allow (laughs) yourself like space to take a deep breath. Right. It's like when we're, it's like if you're, if you feel like you're drowning, right. And you start to Mm -hmm. panic and you're splashing Mm -hmm. and you're going crazy in the water. It's like, you're never going to get anywhere. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But just take a deep breath, float on your back you know, regain some strength, regain some energy yeah. and it'll look so much different when you come back. And so it's right. just an interesting push and pull that I'm finding
1: mm-hmm. in
2: the universe. It seems like not the harder I work because I always mm-hmm. work hard,
1: yeah. but the exactly. harder I
2: try, mm-hmm. the further away things seem to be. Yeah. Right. Yes. But right. if I work hard and I'm not trying so hard, like I'm just in my mm-hmm. flow and I'm doing my thing. Right. And, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, what you're good at, what comes naturally, it's like the right yeah. things find you. And I'm so glad to hear that that's happened for you, especially right now.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I, I, especially right now. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I would agree.
2: Absolutely. Now, (laughs) one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, you know, it's been a tough news cycle for everybody around the world, but I want to, I want to make sure that we speak to how incredibly difficult the news cycles have been lately for black folks in this country. And yeah. the impact mm-hmm. that that has, you know, you use the phrase, the compounding impact of news trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. can we talk yeah. just a little bit about that and what that looks like yeah. from your perspective? And I know you said you, you've been in some dark places lately with us yeah. and can you just sort of yeah. share with, with our listeners, sort of how this, yeah. how this feels for you? I'm sure a lot of them will be able to relate,
0: yeah. but also
1: how are you, how are you coping with this? Sure. Sure. Thanks for asking Amy. So it's a lot. Um, and I've kind of sitting in where we are at in this pandemic, I, I see everything now as there's pre- corona world and then the world we live in now. Um, and so I you know and I often I think about that time of life before kind of is, is really how I see it sometimes. and life now, I mean, just even going to work is draining. <laughs> sometimes. And going to work is, you know, coming to sit at my desk in my basement um, and attend meetings for work and do that. But just that alone just can be exhausting at times because of the nature of, you know, being home for the extended amount of time that we have. So someone like me who, you know, I, I really thrive off of my relationships with others and, you know, enjoy seeing people and hanging out with people. Um, you know, social media, I actually, when the pandemic happened, or at least, you know, in quarantine and lockdown, I turned off social media just because I was like, this is too much, um, can't handle this. But then I found myself being isolated and I was like, I need to see something. So I hopped back on um, and trying to just kind of find boundaries of, okay, how much time do I allow this? Um, you know, do I allow myself to be on here and do this? But then as, as, as we all know, um, image and video one after the other of the, you know, unjust killings of people who look like me, of Black men and women, of trans Black men and women as well. And it makes me think, I'm like, okay, well, in a, in a, in a pre, you know, non-COVID world, there was almost a way for me to kind of escape um, and, and numb a little bit of, of the pain and the grief um, when, you know, that news came out because there was always kind of somewhere to go. I, I either had to go to work or I, I worked the part time. There was, you know, I, there was ways to escape it, which also is not healthy. So that, there's that. Um, and, and I'm a big proponent and huge advocate of therapy and counseling. And that's, that's something I, I personally invest in. But now when, when you're in this world where I, there is nowhere to go, um, and so you're sitting at home with just you and your thoughts a dark place is like you mentioned is where I've gone because I'm not entirely sure how to, how to cope. Um, when, you know, being in a pandemic is something none of us have really gone through. So what kind of, you know, oftentimes when you go through experiences, I feel like we build up kind of toolkits of how to navigate said situation. But when you're in a kind of a brand new one and you're like, what transferable skills, like how can that, you know, and you're kind of coming up empty and then on top of that, you see these lynchings happen it's a lot to swallow honestly i'm incapable of you know digesting um, the information and then i look at my calendar and i have some some tasks to work on nothing seems to matter everything is kind of meaningless because another person has been lynched another black man another black woman has been lynched and i'm not i don't know how to deal or how to cope and i and i'm trying to figure out how to cope um, I'm a person of faith. And so I thank God for another just day of life. But then I'm like, okay, well, well, now what? What do I do? I'm not entirely sure. Um, and kind of grasping for answers. Yeah, I, I don't think I have it figured out. Um, I think today I told myself, I need to call my therapist. I, I haven't talked to her in quite some time. Um, and actually, really, throughout this entire pandemic time, I, I haven't been in, in, in therapy sessions, because um, it's something I had stopped. But I'm realizing, I'm like, I need to reach out um, for support and, and so for help. And so for me, I know that's one way I, I hope to to cope with this. Is, and I'm a verbal processor. So I know I can't hold all of this in because it's just not healthy. Um, so that that is one step that I hope to um, do and, and, and will take kind of very, very soon, if not today. Um, but it, it's, I mean, it's a lot to sit with. And, and, and really, I plead with um, kind of, if you are a supervisor, you know, listening and or boss, or and things like this happen, checking in with your staff to see how are you doing, and because it's like you can't ask me to, you know, submit or or work on this thing when my my mental capacity is just not going to be there. It, it really is not, um, and so I, I really. I I, you know, I plead that you know people are, are aware of, of kind of what's going on, especially if you're a non Black person and you have kind of folks, um, you know, Black folks in your life, and just what are we asking of them, kind of 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 me, you know, and, and of us in this time, um, and to be aware and mindful of that. And but yeah, I don't I don't quite have an answer um, on how to deal because I'm I'm still I'm still right now trying to figure that out. Um, but it, it's been especially difficult, especially difficult to navigate in the midst of kind of just everything, everything going on and, and navigating a pandemic. So yeah, I appreciate your use of the word lynching. And it, it's
2: a historically significant and accurate depiction of what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm, um,
2: mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that you touched on is the role of video. Right. And in that I see such a double edged sword, because yes. these videos are traumatic. Mm-hmm. They are violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are videos of, of people being killed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Right, Circulating on social media, which I think is is horrific. And so, you know, it's it's traumatic for me to see. I'm sure it's traumatic, you know, even more traumatic when, you know, you more closely identify with the victims of these crimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But then by the same token, if the videos didn't exist, mm-hmm. the perpetrators wouldn't be held to account.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: what a horrible, yes. horrible, you know, juxtaposition of facts that is.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I'm such a, I've, I've been getting louder and louder on social media to to say like, we can't, like, you know, the videos of the lynching can't circulate um, because it, it's just, yeah, you said like, traumatic. Um, but in the Amy Cooper case, if we didn't have that video, I don't, you know, I don't know if, you know, I know now we all know she's been let go, um, right from her job. And I think her dog was taken away and, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, who would that have happened if, you know, the the video wasn't there? So, um, but her, you know, her video is interesting because, you know, nobody's getting killed in that video per, per se, but it, it's still, it is this double edged sword where it's like, Ugh. The, the video should not have to exist, right? For people to believe or to understand that's just, that's not, you know, we shouldn't live in a world where you have to see somebody getting lynched to, to feel for them or, right. you know, be, be moved to, to, yeah. to take action or anything.
2: So. Yeah. But let's be clear in the Amy Cooper video, because, yeah. you know, you talked about, well, no one was getting killed in that video. Yeah. You know, Amy Cooper watches the same news we all watch yes right yeah Mm -hmm. amy cooper has seen numerous incidents of black men being shot first and questions asked later for minor offenses like you know wearing a hooded sweatshirt or you know playing with a toy gun in a park or you know standing in walmart or sleeping in their own bed yeah and while the outcome of that particular video was that no black person was killed, Mm -hmm. certainly she knew by picking up the phone that that was a possible outcome of her actions. Sure. And you know, there's no escaping that in this world, right? There's no way she complete ignorance on that point. And you know, and I think the violence is there. I mean, the fear Mm -hmm. that I would feel if Mm -hmm. I knew that somebody could, could murder me with absolute immunity
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: watch somebody call in that hit on me
1: mm-hmm. or
2: attempt to. Right. Yeah. Because that right. I mean, that's what's happened. And, exactly. you know, and then just, you know, the same day in the news, we see, you know, exactly that happen. Right. We see, Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the murder of a man and by yeah. the police. And so I just, you know, I don't, I don't think that any person in this country can plead ignorance about mm-hmm. the possibilities mm-hmm. of what can happen right. when okay. police are unnecessarily called to a, a scene involving a racial incident. I want to put a point on that because, and here's the thing that I've learned Kathleen is mm-hmm. white people won't hear it if a white person doesn't say it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I want my voice to, to sure. be heard saying like, this sure. is not okay. We know better. Yes. We know what happens you know, mm-hmm. it's not enough for us to, to pretend that mm-hmm. this doesn't exist or to look the other right. way or to not right. engage in it, right? We have to mm-hmm. actively dismantle this. Totally, yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah, if totally. we don't
2: actively dismantle it, if we white folks don't actively dismantle it, we are perpetuating mm-hmm. it. We are so, perpetuating
1: yeah.
2: it. And mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this cannot continue.
1: Totally. And, then, I, and I mean, I think my thoughts too around that were, is just that, you know, Amy Cooper, I think there's some... Up going on that she was quote unquote liberal, and so there's like this whole thing about party lines and, and that whole thing as well. Um, but you know, Amy Cooper's who you know allow just white supremacy and you know lead to black death. That's just ultimately kind of you know what that gets to, um, and so it has to be called out and said, you know, for what it is and, and what had, when what happened. Um, but it's yeah, it's just. There's a lot. There's
2: There's a lot.
1: There's a lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 400 years of unchecked racism and white supremacy. Yeah. You know, these are not isolated incidents. They're a pattern. They're an inevitable pattern of the sins of our past. And until Mm -hmm. we reckon with them, it's just, it's, yeah, we're just going to have to do better. I mean, we just have Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I know that that's something that's on a lot of people's minds. And, you know, you had spoken so, um, from the heart about that. And I wanted to be sure to to touch on that because it is top of mind for so many people and, Mm -hmm. you know, in particular, you know, in communities of color. Mm
1: -hmm, Um, mm -hmm.
2: And I'm just so sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll say even just in, in black communities, right. I think it's important. I think there's this sometimes notion that, and I try to always push back, you know, using people of color jargon sometimes or using that. And of course, people of color, we all face various injustices and things, but I think specifically in these instances of Amy Cooper and, you know, what happened with George and with everybody else, right? It's it's affecting Black bodies and so it's affecting Absolutely. Black communities. Um, so just being sure to you know, make that very distinct. And
2: I was thinking, even as I said it, I was thinking, no, I meant to use the word black, you know, Hispanic and Latino communities Mm -hmm. have their own issues with, Mm -hmm. you know, threats of deportation and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it's a different policing and a different mechanism of control, but the root of the racism is, is very much the same. Definitely. So Oh my goodness. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for your time today. I know we got really deep and we didn't really end on a really high note, but, um, you know, I know that it is a lot right to deal with Mm -hmm. all of the news and all of the pandemic and the job search and the relocation Yes. And if I may share, <laughs> sure. you had, um, you had wedding plans for this fall that you've had yes. to choose as well.
1: Yes. But yes. the wedding's still on. The wedding's still on. It, it just will most likely look very different from what we <laughs> originally planned. But that is, I mean, and the, this pandemic is such a, this mix of emotions that, you know, just on the spectrum. And, you know, it, it, it's tough. If you had told me that, oh, no, you probably aren't going to throw the huge party that you thought. I'd be thinking, absolutely not. Like, I've always wanted the big party and whatever. But, um, you know, this time with my thoughts has made me just recognize what's actually most important here. Um, and, and that's what needs to get done. And so now I'm, you know, most likely throwing this like small intimate affair that I never knew I needed. Um, but it's you know, it's, it's happening. And I wouldn't, you know, have come to that realization if it were not for the current circumstance that we are in, which is, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it's where we sit now. So um, yeah, you know, love, love is not canceled. That's the hashtag I've seen. Oh, going around. I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Kathleen, yes. congratulations. Thank on you. the
2: culmination of your job search. I'm so thrilled for you.
1: And I look forward to
2: great things from you in the future.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson.